The Pre-Med Year, session number 351. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the Pre-Med Years. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I am excited to have a conversation with you today about our friends up north in Canada, our lovely hat to the United States, where I have a great conversation with a student who is a non-traditional student in Canada. And I've gotten some messages recently about non-trads in Canada and how it's almost impossible for them to get into school. And our guest today is showing you that it's not impossible. It may be hard, but it's not impossible. So we're going to jump in, say hello to our guest today. Anita, welcome to the Pre-Med Years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to a friend from up north, up in Canada. I, I think we've had a couple Canadian episodes, um, one more recently, but I'm excited to have more because uh, obviously, there are pre-med students in Canada who need help, and we want to help as much as possible, right? Yes, for sure. I definitely heard, listened to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, Anita, when did you realize you wanted to be a doctor? I guess this short answer is in 2013 when I moved to Canada. I'm not originally from Canada. I'm from Brazil and I moved here in 2013 when I married my husband who's from Toronto. And at that time, I I used to be a journalist. That was my first degree. And I worked for about six years as a journalist, not doing anything <laughs> exciting. When I say journalist, people assume that I was an international reporter or something. <laughs> but I not all journalists there. are war correspondents? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I'm here to prove that not all of us do that. Uh, I did a lot of social media, actually, social media marketing content, web content, and that kind of thing for companies. So at the time I was doing, I had my own clients and I was working for by myself doing social media stuff. And I actually did have one client up in Montreal where we were living at the time. And, but I started to realize that I had pretty much a blank slate in front of me moving to a new country. And it was kind of like a quarter life crisis where I was like, well, I really didn't want it to be that I moved here just because I got married. I wanted to be an opportunity to figure out and be happy for myself as well. And so I took a few months thinking about it and doing some research and some just deep questioning of my own, I guess, priorities, my own uh, values. And I, I kind of, I had done some volunteer work in Brazil back when I was in Brazil. And I realized that when I was doing volunteer work, I did like a help in a soup kitchen every Saturday morning. And at, at the time I was a journalist and I did that on the weekend. And I kept thinking back that when I was there, I was so present and I knew that I was needed. Like when I was there, like my phone wasn't on me because I knew that my time there was really important. Not a lot of people were donating that time, their time to do that. And I've 
started thinking, wow, I wish I could find a career that gave me that kind of feeling of being needed and being somewhere that is important for society. And I realized that health is our number one need and to accomplish anything else. And I had like a very big admiration for doctors. I don't have a lot of doctors in my family, but I did have one uncle who works in a very small rural community in Brazil, who was a GP, is a GP. And I remember when I went to visit him, being in the hospital, I remember looking around and being interested. And when I was doing that soul searching, it was so funny because then I started to remember that when I was a kid, I used to, for Christmas, ask for one of those science lab kits <laughs> for kids. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I was really into science. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. <laughs> I just kind of derailed from that. I remember playing that I was a doctor and, and the patient at the same time, because I was an only child for a long time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like laying on the bed and self-medicating myself. <laughs> so I just saw these things started to come back to me. And I realized that I didn't go for medicine back when I was 18 and trying to decide what to do because I thought it was for the smart kids. And at the time, everybody told me that I was a good writer, that I could be in something related to writing and journalism kind of happened that way. And it was really great. I have lifelong friends from journalism, but I realized that maybe medicine was what I was supposed to be doing. So I remember when I kind of realized that I had this conversation with my husband and I actually started crying because I was like, (laughs) I wish I didn't want something so difficult. (laughs) I really wanted to not want it, but um, yeah, then I went about trying to figure out what to do from there, but it was around that time. (laughs) Why? You you said at 18, you didn't go towards medicine because you thought it was for the smart kids. What was the evidence saying that you weren't one of those kids? Uh, I guess I saw the people that were applying for medicine as... In Brazil, it's a very different process, just so for context sake you it's kind of, I think it's kind of like in Britain where you go straight from high school and it's a six year program. Mm-hmm. And so the kids that were in my high school that were going for medicine, they were taking all these tutoring, like, because it's also just an exam that you have to pass. You don't have to show any grades from high school. Uh, it's mostly this one exam. And a lot of people are like, Oh, you have to try several years to get in. Uh, you have to take all these extra tutoring stuff. And I guess maybe I didn't completely think, Oh, I'm not smart enough, but I also didn't want to put in the time. I kind of wanted to just go straight to something and just kind of follow the, the schedule that you're supposed to be on to become an adult. <laughs> I guess I just wanted that. And I saw the the guy, the people, I remember one, this one guy in my class who, I don't even know if he became a doctor, I guess he did, um, but he was applying for medical school and he was like so keen and so super studious and got all straight A's and had a very, very specific plan of what he wanted to do. And I just didn't have that. So I guess I admired mm. him. I, I thought it was cool, but I didn't really consider that it could be for me. I I never really 
yeah, I never really saw myself back then as a doctor. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So when you had this discussion with your husband, you start crying, you get emotional. Why, why were you getting so emotional with that discussion? I was getting emotional because I guess I knew that it was going to be difficult. So they, so they weren't happy tears. They were like, what am I getting myself into they tears? Were dreadful tears. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, oh no, this, this is not good. Because I guess, the, I, I guess I just felt that passion. And it was very, I guess, if we're going to get vulnerable here, it was very similar to when I met my husband. It was like, oh no, I'm going to have to move to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> because of this guy. And then I realized, oh no, I'm gonna have to go try to become a doctor because I just love this. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just really want to do this. And I was at the time volunteering at the hospital too. And I was watching a lot of medical, I guess, shows on TV. And I really <laughs> was into, I'm still into labor and delivery. And I was like, I want to deliver babies. That's what I want to do. And I can only do that if I become a doctor. So yeah, yeah that was kind of the, just, I just, this, it was kind of like as if this mountain appeared in front of me and I was like, Oh no, now I have to climb this mountain. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of the, the tears there. So you're in Canada. You already have your degree from Brazil, a journalism degree. Mm-hmm. For for you being in Canada and and trying to figure this out, what were the first steps for you to go, okay, I, I'm already a non-traditional student. I have my degree from a, another country. Is this even possible? Where did you go and ask those questions? Yeah, so in that conversation with my husband, uh, he was... He was very, I still remember exactly what he said. He said, well, it's, I don't know if you know this, but it is very difficult to get into medical school in Canada. Uh, And I helped you with, I helped you with everything getting here. But with this one, I'm going to let you try to figure this out on your own. Because because if you have the drive to figure it out, I will know you have the drive to do it. And so he kind of let me try to go around and figure this out by myself, which I'm grateful for because I really needed to go through it by myself in that case. And of course, he was there to support me, but I went about just trying to Google. And we were in Montreal, so I naively went up to the UMD admissions office at at McGill University (laughs) (laughs) and just walked in and asked like how do I become a medical student here and this one lady I think it was about she was about to leave for the day and she was like oh what what is this and like she sat me down and basically just told me the entire process I didn't even know what the MCAT was so I was like okay I have to take this exam and then she was like and then there's the MMIs and all this stuff and I was like oh my god this is and then she told me about the GPA that I needed. And that's basically what kind of pushed me a little bit because I went back to my transcript from my first degree and I realized it was way, way, way below (laughs) what I needed because in Brazil, people don't take grades as seriously in terms of getting jobs after school. Basically, Mm -hmm. um, you can just 
people don't really care about your grades for most degrees. I'm pretty sure even law, for example, you can just do an exam and become a judge. And so, okay. um, it, yeah, so it's really different. And so, although I wasn't a terrible student and never failed any class, I definitely wasn't the straight A student. And at the time, that's what, that's what I was being told I needed. Mm-hmm. So I kind of went back to square one and talked to some people. I thought about, because I had this interest in maternal child care, I thought about going to midwifery. Um, and then I talked going to Going to midwifery instead of going to medical school and just kind of yeah. settling? Becoming a midwife okay. instead. Um, and so in Canada, I don't know if it's the same as in the States, but it's a four-year degree. Um, and I went to talk to a few midwives in Montreal and most of them told me to look into nursing instead, just because there could be other areas that I could work as a nurse. And if I really, really wanted to do maternal childcare, I could still do it as a nurse in labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. So, and they were also talking about the hours as a midwife, you're pretty much on call 24 seven and as a nurse, you're just shift work. And so I started taking nursing a bit more seriously and by this was all happening in like fall 2013 by January 2014 I started taking prerequisites for nursing and I just decided to go into nursing instead so how did that make you feel I I really embraced it at the time I was I did a lot of volunteer, continued volunteering. I started to talk to a lot of nurses. I read books about nursing and the career and really saw in the units that I was volunteering. I was volunteering in maternal child care, never in labor and delivery because they don't really allow volunteers in labor and delivery at the hospital that I was. But I did some uh, high-risk obstetrics and uh, NICU volunteering. Mm-hmm. And I was really look, talking to the nurses at the hospital and really seeing the great side of nursing. That is, you spend a lot of time with patients. And I really wanted that. And I felt like it was, and I still feel that way, it's just as important as medical, as the doctor role. They're just complementary to each other. So I feel like they're in an equal importance in the, in the impact that they can have. And so I realize also that as a nurse, when I went to work, my, my job would be important and that importance and that feeling needed was also there. So, but it wasn't, but it wasn't being a doctor. No, it was not being a doctor, but I didn't think that I could be a doctor. So I was still, um, so you were traumatized by that conversation with McGill. I was, I was just, I just felt really naive and felt like, oh, I really have a lot to learn here. I just arrived and, you know, and then when I went to nursing and it took me a year and a half to actually get into nursing. And throughout that path, I just relearned how to be a student. And but I also found out that I was actually good in sciences, which was something that I was kind of led to believe that I wasn't from back when I was applying for college when mm-hmm. I was 18. So I actually had the, yeah, the whole time was kind of discovering who am I in the situation. And like, I went back to my high school transcripts and I'm like, Oh, my biology grades weren't bad. I don't, 
<laughs> so it was just kind of like rediscovering that I was good in science. I took some biology. I took some stats as a prereqs, as all prereqs for nursing school and um, some anatomy and physiology. Mm-hmm. And I did really well in those classes. And I was like, oh, maybe I am a healthcare person no matter what. And that yeah. was important for me still to kind of confirm that I wasn't just doing it because I thought it was cool, but I could also be good at it. So it wasn't doctoring yet, but I feel like it was a process. And it was a process to get your confidence back. It seems like at what point in your nursing journey did you finally go, okay, this is not enough. I do need to be a doctor and I'm smart enough to be one. End of second year. (laughs) It's a very important landmark for me because it was New Year's Eve. And I think it was early 2017. It was the first time I took the MCAT. Yeah. So New Year's Eve 2016 to 2017, I was midway through my second year of nursing. And I had very good grades my first year. And I was still maintaining those very good grades, very high grades. And I like I went into the nursing program and I discussed this with my husband too. I went in thinking, okay, I'm going to do nursing, but I will try to do my very, very best because maybe if I do my very, very best, I can still be a candidate for medical school. So nursing was kind of like to kind of show if I could be that stellar student that gets into med school or if I couldn't. So how did, how did you know that you could go to medical school from nursing school? I guess not, not that I could go through medical school, but I knew that I could be accepted. Like I could be a competitive candidate mainly because of grades. And then I also added up some leadership stuff in my second year um, and some research in my third year. And so it was all for my own interest as well, but I was in the back of my mind trying to build up. I, I just went into nursing with this mindset of I'll do my best. I'll get involved. I'll do all these things that are cool. And if I don't get into medical school, at least I will have, a, I will have had a very rich experience in nursing school. And that will set me up to do what I want to do with my degree afterwards anyway. So I guess that was my mindset. And then when it was half of second year going to third year, I realized that my grades were good. And then I decided, okay, if I'm going to do this, I need to make a decision because I need to start being intentional in what I do. And so it was New Year's. I kind of like made that resolution. (laughs) that I was going to seriously look into this. And that's when I actually started to do my post-McGill research (laughs) about schools and what it actually took and all these things. Because, And I guess I recommend that to people who are pre-meds. Sometimes you just start doing things because you think that's what schools want. But it really is important to do your research and go. It's all online. You just, it is just annoying to go try to find it. But I have a huge spreadsheet with everything from all the schools that I was interested in applying to and whether, what are their stats, what are their um, GPA cutoffs or MCAT cutoffs, 
when will they look at your application kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing that, that work of doing that research in my second to third year of school. Yeah. Were you looking at schools in the States at all? No, uh, that was really our limitation was the Canadian border because of my husband's career. So he was very behind me into going anywhere in Canada. <laughs> so, and I, and I figured I wanted to live here too. So it, we were limited to Canada. Okay. What were your, anywhere in Canada? <laughs> yeah. So talk about the first time you took the MCAT. Well, the first time I took the MCAT. <laughs> Uh, you're gonna, you're gonna say something about it because I just took it without studying a lot. <laughs> Why is as that? I mentioned to you before, I didn't respect the MCAT, but mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> so when I started doing the research, um, and, and that New Year's Eve and forward that year, I ended up going to a info session at McMaster University in Ontario. And they told me, well, they told the, the audience that, and I didn't know that though, so, or I guess I knew, but I wasn't sure if it was true that they only look at your car's score. Mm -hmm. And I went in to try to figure that, that one out. And I also didn't know that I could apply in my third year. I was in my third year at that time. Um, I guess I was in my second year, but I could fit like I would be applying for the next year. So I would have finished my third year and I could be accepted that way. So I didn't know all these things and I learned these things. And this was like early June. And I talked to one of the people in admissions and I asked her, like, are you sure I can do the MCAT and just do the cars? And she was like, yes. We don't even look at the other things. I'm not sure. Like, I don't want to speak for McMaster. I'm sure if they changed anything, people should look it up. But at that time, she told me, we don't look at the other sections. We only upload your car score. So I was like, well, maybe I could do this. And I talked to my husband. I was like, maybe I should just try the MCAT because I guess one of the things that I also wanted to do is kind of go up get over the hurdle of being afraid of the MCAT. I heard, talked to some people who gave up entirely on medical school because they were afraid to take the MCAT. And I was like, I can't let that happen. I have to just be brave, sign up for this thing and go and do it. And so uh, kind of like a Band-Aid situation. So I was working full time that summer uh, doing an internship in public health. And so I started, I picked a date at that time. Of course, I could only take it like way outside the city <laughs> somewhere. And it was, I think, I think I took it September 1st. And so I, that was early June. So I started studying and I basically, during the week I had studied one hour in the morning. And so I woke up at six and studied until seven, seven thirty. And I basically I started by buying the Princeton Review cars textbook and signed up for their online resources. And then I bought the AMC questions. And I tried some of the I guess strategies that they tell you to use, but 
I don't know, some of them jived with me, some didn't. So I decided to just keep doing questions. So I just every morning, five days a week for an hour, an hour and a half, I did questions. So I did that for, I guess, a month and a half, six or eight weeks. Kind of, I don't know how to count right now, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> sometime. And then I started taking, um, how do you say, timed exams, but mm -hmm. only for cars. So my focus was really on cars. Although I did have some biology background and some psychology, like we have a lot of psychology in nursing, at least in my program. So, but I didn't have any biochem, very little chem and high school physics from 10 years before. So I went in and took it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's completely different, right? If, if someone from the States is like, uh, just going in and taking it, that sounds crazy, but lots of students do it because they're, they're naive to what it is. Mm -hmm. But in Canada, it, the majority of schools are just looking at your cars. And so it doesn't seem as crazy to just go and take it, especially if your reading comprehension is good and you have some good critical thinking skills. But for, yeah. for you uh, as a, uh, I'm assuming a, an English as a second language student, that typically messes students up on the MCAT as well. Did, did you take that into account at all? I didn't even know that that was going to be an issue. So I guess I didn't think. About <laughs> okay. It. Um, later, when I found your podcast, I heard some students say that and I was like, oh, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that applied to me because yeah, English is my second language. I just want to maybe mention that I don't know if most schools in Canada only use the cars. Uh, from the research I did, I think mainly University of Calgary and McMaster do that. Okay. The other schools uh, have different looks. Everyone is looks at it differently, but I don't think it's most schools that only look at cars. Okay. That's mainly why I took it twice. <laughs> so I guess that's for the next question. But I took it again because I wanted to do better at the other sections to open up my possibilities. Did because you do well in cars the first time? <laughs> I did fairly well. I got a 129. That's great. My first time. Okay. I I guess my background in writing and reading and journalism helped mm -hmm. in terms of reading comprehension. Yeah. At that point, too, I had two years of nursing school behind me and we wrote a lot of assignments and I felt definitely my English um reading, writing, comprehension outside of daily things improved immensely mm -hmm. just because of just editing papers and stuff. So that was helpful too. Um, but I, I come from humanities background. So I think that's something that even if you're in a second language, but if you have a good command of the language and you, you like to read and you are interested in humanities, maybe the cars is easier, but mm -hmm. also definitely doing a lot of questions. I think I talked to other people who have taken like Kaplan courses and things like that. And I know that all, each course gives you a different strategy. Um, but I think the main thing, you can look at the strategies that they offer online and from other people, but you have to figure out your own, like, What's what works for somebody not necessarily going to work for you, and you can only figure that out by take doing questions mm -hmm. and time 
questions because the main thing that you have to find is how to finish the section (laughs) in time. And that, I don't know, you have to figure out how your brain works. And I think I, I discovered that early in the process and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do questions. And I took notes of what worked for me and took notes of when I had good scores that I was like, oh, my accuracy is increasing. Why is that? And just spend time figuring out your own system and how you can, first of all, finish in time. And second of all, increase your accuracy. Mm. I think that's what I was focused on and it kind of worked out. Yeah. So you took the MCAT a second time to focus on other sections of the MCAT, and then it's time to apply to medical school. And now the application process in, or sorry, process is different in Canada than here in the States. There's only, as far as I know, the one application service for Ontario. Um, Outside of that, it's individual applications to all the schools. So what was the application process like for you? Yeah. So I guess the first year that I took the MCAT, I also did apply, but I only applied to McMaster because I figured um, that was only going to be my only shot because of my MCAT. Uh, and then I didn't get anything, but I I figured it was going to be useful no matter what, because I wanted to see the application system and I wanted to learn how to draft my application. And that was helpful because then the second year, this year, or I guess 2018, I applied to six schools. And so I my, my spreadsheet just kept growing because, <laughs> first of all, I looked at all, this, all the English-speaking schools, uh, except for the ones in Quebec, because they are very strict in terms of how many out-of-province they accept. And that was one thing that I had to figure out. Each school has a different ratio for how many out-of-province people they accept. So you kind of want to look at that. Most schools have different stats for out-of-province, like your MCAT has to be higher, your GPA has to be higher. Um, And then I kind of filled that spreadsheet and looked at my MCAT, my second MCAT score which did improve from my first, but my my cars actually went down by one point. <laughs> oh, no. But the other sections improved, which was good. Um, I did self-study um, last summer. I was in Brazil doing research and I was studying and I had a buddy, a buddy system with a friend of mine and we logged into the spreadsheet what we did that day just to keep track of each other. So that that was really helpful to get me on track to study. And then I took it again. And then after my MCAT score, I looked at the schools. And some schools I couldn't even apply because of their cutoffs. Um, and then the ones that I could apply to, I applied to. So those came down to six schools, um, two in Ontario and four out of province. And so those were very... Yeah, like you said, very different applications. Each out-of-province school has its own its own online system. Uh, Ontario, I kind of used my my previous year application, and I used my previous year application a lot in terms of description of my experiences, mm. um, references. I I had already contacted people for letters of reference, so they knew that I was applying again, and I just used the same people, so that was helpful. Um, 
And I guess just keeping organized in terms of having a document where you list all your passwords and all your logins and things because you have to keep track of different deadlines. I had like a calendar with different deadlines on the schedule so that I didn't miss anything. Um, but yeah, once October 1st, all schools mainly, pretty much most schools, October 1st is the deadline to submit. Mm -hmm. It's not rolling admissions. So yep. you can literally submit September 29th um, or October 1st or September 30th anyway. Yep. And so, uh, yeah, so that's what I did. It was incredibly stressful, but, <laughs> but I had everything in, in time. And what, what's the process like once you submit your application? Is it right away you hear? Um, I, I don't think Canada doesn't have secondary applications. So what's, what's the process post uh, post submission? Yeah. So post submission, you're waiting. There is no secondary. Uh, they just send you a receipt of your application and that's it. And most schools you won't hear from until January. Yeah. So now do they do they not have a secondary because they have their own individual applications and some of what is in secondary essays for the US schools is is that built into the primary application? Yes, exactly. Okay. So even for the Ontario process, even though it's a one login and one portal, once you choose which schools you're going to send your application to, immediately you have access to whatever extra each school wants from you. Yeah. So, so it's the same I, process, just a little bit different. Different timeline. Yeah. Okay. But I guess um, applications oh, usually for the Ontario um, system open July 15 and you have until October 1st. So if you start your application early, you can go and see. I know EFT, for example, University of Toronto has a lot of um, essays they have to write. Um, they change every year, I think, but um, I didn't end up applying there because their MCAT cutoffs I didn't meet. But um, I know they have some questions they have to answer and they're kind of like your secondary. And then there is this catch, which is a list of your most important experiences. And that's for every school. Mm. And Northern Ontario has their own questions. So, yeah. All the secondary stuff is there is just right away for you. Yeah. And then and the generally you don't hear. The DO application that so the ACOMAS application here in the States has that built into it now, but I think there's only a handful of schools that utilize that. So mm. um, that may be changing in the future where more schools are kind of adding in their secondary essays to that primary application. But for now, most of it's still separate. Yeah, it sounds like it could be helpful <laughs> from what I hear from the states mm -hmm. um, in terms of just having time to answer them all. But also, I guess the main difference is the rolling applications in the states. We don't have that here, so it can take our time <laughs> yeah. to to answer everything. That's nice. So yeah. when did you get that email or phone call or whatever notification it was that you got an interview? So that was until February the next year. So this year. So I applied October and I, well, I started hearing back from schools as early as I think Memorial in Newfoundland was early. It was like December, early December. That was the first one. And then 
all the other ones mainly was in January and I heard no's from everybody. And I started to, I was talking to my husband and saying, okay, I'm going to write the MCAT again <laughs> because I don't think I'm getting anything this year. I just looked at my MCAT score and I guess mainly because I had a 124 in chem phys, I figured if I could at least bump it to 125 or 126, it could increase my chances in some schools and open up a few schools too. So I was really I, I think I mentioned it to so many people like this isn't my year. It's not going to happen. My mm-hmm. MCAT is not great. I'm going to just sign up again. And then my husband was like, but did you hear from everyone? And I was like, <laughs> well, no, there's like one or two schools, but they're out of province. And um, like, I don't think like, of course, it's not going to happen. And then he's like, well, hold on, like, like, just wait until you hear from everyone before you spend $500 Canadian yep. uh, on the MCAT again. And I was like, okay, but I didn't want to ride it all the way outside of town again. So that's why I wanted to sign up as soon as possible. But I agreed with him and I waited. And then February 5th, I was in my nursing uh, clinical placement having lunch and I got the email and I just immediately started to cry and I had to excuse myself, and go outside. And I now, just, now were these happy tears or was it like, Oh, there's another mountain in front of me <laughs> of an interview. I think both. I think <laughs> <laughs> it's always both. I, I was like, but that, that moment definitely was happy. Like I, it was completely I wasn't expecting at all. Like I cannot emphasize this enough. Um, what's what's that like? So beginning of February, is that re- like super late for Canadian cycles or kind of still in the middle? Late, Yeah, it's like a bit late for the Canadian cycle. I think most schools send out decisions in January, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Because uh, it was the last school I heard from. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, it was incredibly overwhelming and I couldn't believe, I literally couldn't believe it for a week. I didn't tell anybody like outside (laughs) my family because I was like, really, is this, what am I going to do about this? And how am I going to do this? It was just like surreal for a week. And then I just started to work towards preparing for that. (laughs) Yeah. So you go on your interview day. How long until you found out that you were accepted? Uh, two months. Oh, much, even more waiting. <laughs> oh, man. It was an incredibly tough process, definitely. Um, it was a very, very stressful time. When I I prepared for my interview with a coach, and I w- that was really helpful, and I definitely, if people think about that, I think for me, I had never been to an interview before for medical school and mm. I was like you know what this is my one shot I'm gonna do this <laughs> right and got a coach who was wonderful and helped me figure out my answers and prepare me for the MMI and all that stuff so that was really really wait a minute helpful. you didn't work with me I didn't work with you I'm, I'm hurt <laughs> I worked with the Toronto company <laughs> I'm hurt yeah, so sorry. <sighs> That's okay. That's okay. You're forgiven. Uh, yeah. So that was really helpful. And 
the interview itself was a very very nice i don't know i really enjoyed the school mm-hmm. and i enjoyed the people they definitely made you feel comfortable and not too scared about it okay. and i think when i went as a pre-med you hear about the mmi so much <laughs> and when i entered the mmi corridor like the hallway with the rooms <laughs> i felt as if i was you know when people say oh i always want to go to paris it was like I was in Paris. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm actually here." The MMI. <laughs> the MMI is just like Paris apparently. Yes. <laughs> it's like going somewhere they hear about it for a very long time and then you're there. <laughs> have you ever been to Paris? I have. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Turn it to that. Okay. Uh, um yeah, so it was kind of like going somewhere that you really wanted to go for a very long time and you didn't even know if you could go there and you're there. <laughs> and it's, I was just very happy to be there. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And so it was a, it wasn't a terrible process during it. You kind of forget that it's like, I guess, cause you're going through the, the rooms and you going through the motions and I just kind of, had fun with it and forgot the incredible weight that it had on my future. And so I just went through it. And later when I came back home and I, I literally had some form of PTSD for like two weeks where I had intrusive thoughts of my interview constantly and just thinking about all my answers and re rethinking, what did I say? Why did I say that? And from feeling very, very confident coming out of it, my confidence just went slowly down as the two months spread. <laughs> Did you sign so, up for the MCAT again? No. No. Okay. I, I was really close, but I <laughs> decided as again, my my sensible husband said, <laughs> just wait until you hear it's a very expensive investment and just let's wait it out. And yeah. but I was gonna take it again. That was my I knew my summer was either going to be school or the MCAT. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So after. How did, how did you find out about the acceptance? Uh, I found out through email. Okay. And it's kind of funny too. If you haven't figured out, I am a huge crier. <laughs> uh, I, cry, I cry for everything. And I was one of the things that helped me through the time when I was waiting was I found uh cycling <laughs> spinning classes yeah so I found that when I was waiting and it helped me so much with my stress and my anxiety uh about waiting for an answer and I was going almost every day to kind of get out of the house and get out of my rut <laughs> and forget about it and I was actually right after a spinning class and I was sitting waiting for the shower and I decided to pick up my phone and check my email and the email was there and I just couldn't even stop to think if I wanted to open it. I just (laughs) clicked on it right away (laughs) and I just saw congratulations and I started bawling (laughs) and the girl from the reception desk came over and she thought I had hurt myself <laughs> and she was like what are are you okay what's going on and I was just crying and 
I was like, I better tell her what's happening because she's going to think I'm hurt. So I told her, oh, I just got to do medical school. <laughs> and she was very like cute and sweet and was like, oh my God. And like, gave me a hug. And I just kept crying and calling. And I tried to call my husband and he didn't pick up. So uh. I called my mom <laughs> and my mom started crying. And then I <laughs> called my husband and my husband's like, are you me like this is true and i was like yes it's true so yeah it was really it's just like a huge weight lifted and i just i'm still i already started school and i still am in awe i was like really i'm in medical school like i cannot believe that yeah. it's happening um yeah it was just Kind of, I never played baseball, but I imagine it's the feeling when you're running for a very long time and then you hit home base and you're safe. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So it, yeah, it was an incredible, incredible moment. For, yeah, for, for the Canadian student listening to this or even the, the U.S. student who is is filled with that doubt the doubt that you had the am i am i smart enough for this will i ever get in i'm gonna take a detour and go to nursing instead and and settle on something else what what advice would you have for them to keep pushing forward um you know what when i decided that i wanted to do it and i was like serious about it and it didn't mean that I didn't doubt myself. The doubt didn't really stop. But at the same time, one day I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what? Um, I can't predict the future. Whatever I think, oh, I think I'm not going to get in or I think I'm going to get in. And you go back and forth. Some days are great and you're really excited and you're like, yes, this is going to work out. Some days are terrible. And you're definitely sure you're not going to get in. Like, you don't know. I just realized that I didn't know. I can't predict the future. So what can I believe that will help me achieve my goal? If I choose to believe that I'm going to get in, I'm going to have more motivation to do the things that I need to do. I'm going to have more motivation to study for the MCAT. I'm going to have just erase the self-doubt that is mainly there as a distractor for you if you just whenever you doubt you just believe i am a doctor i'm doing what i need to fulfill my potential i know i am a doctor and some i think if you if you have that feeling you know what i'm talking about you are a doctor already so just choosing to believe that and choosing to believe that you're going to get in because no matter what, you can't predict the future. So just use your mind as an asset and as a help for you to motivate yourself and think of your patients in the future. They're, they're there waiting for you and you are a doctor. Believe that and that will help you so much just eliminating the self-doubt distraction in your head and in your life. And it's going to help you motivate yourself just believing that you can do it. and just think of self-doubt as a distractor. Think of your patients. They're waiting for you. The world needs you. Not everybody has a drive to go through this process. And if you have the drive and you want to be a doctor, you owe it to society to become a doctor. We need doctors. So just keep pushing and 
I use this podcast a lot and I listen to it almost every day on my way to school as a way to push myself. And that's mainly why I'm here talking today, because I know it can help people. And so use whatever you can. Can Don't let your mind get in the way of yourself. Self-doubt is just a distraction. And you are a doctor. You're going to get there. <laughs> Believe that you're a doctor. Just don't pretend you are one. Definitely not. <laughs> All right, there you have it. I hope our friends from up north got some good information out of the podcast today. Even if you are not a Canadian, everything that we talked about today is relevant for the U.S. medical system as well. So hopefully that was helpful for you and hopefully it will help you on your journey to medical school. If you know someone who would be a great guest on the podcast, maybe it's you. Shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.